I would like for you to open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter number 1. We've been looking at the letters of the Apostle Paul to Titus and Timothy after he had been released from his uh, Roman detention and was doing his, uh, his tour of the uh, Aegean region uh, where he was visiting some of the cities of his previous missionary uh, journeys, but he wanted his apostolic delegates, uh, Titus on Crete and Timothy at Ephesus, uh, to know what they should be doing uh, while he was traveling uh, up through Macedonia. Well, that was all happening, I believe, in the latter section of 63. Uh, when we were finishing up Titus last session, we saw that Paul was intending to spend the winter of what I believe would be 63 going into 64 at Nicopolis on the west side of the modern Greek peninsula. Uh, I, I believe that Paul wanted to finally head off to Spain. And I believe that's exactly what he did uh, when this, uh, the Mediterranean sailing season opened up uh, in the spring of 64. I think he and Titus and others took off uh, for the most western portion of the Roman uh, Empire. Now, the Apostle Peter had been doing a lot of ministry in the Holy Land, in the Promised Land, uh, in the parts of the book of Acts that tells us about his ministry. And the last time we kind of heard about him uh, was uh, when he was present at Jerusalem uh, in 47, when the issue dealing with uh, whether or not Gentiles had to convert to Judaism in order to be saved by Jesus uh, was dealt with by the apostles and the elders of uh, the church at Jerusalem. Uh, the only apostles that we know were named at Jerusalem at that time were Peter, or Kephas, as Paul likes to refer to him, and John, that's the Apostle John who will write the gospel, and James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was the leader of the church at Jerusalem. Uh, we don't know what Peter's been up to since 47, but it is, I think, possible that he may have started traveling to all of those places where the gospel had spread uh, under uh, or in the years uh, following 47. And so I think he may have gone up uh, into Turkey uh, and checked out the churches where Paul and uh, Barnabas had established them. Maybe he stopped off at the island of Crete as well on his way. Uh, but he would have also, I believe, pushed up 
into places where the Apostle Paul hadn't gone so that he, Peter, could take the gospel uh, into those regions. And so I believe by the time 63, going into 64 rolled around, uh, that Peter was somewhere in the area of what we call modern-day Turkey today and had been visiting some of the places where the Apostle Paul had put so much time and effort in. Uh, And then after uh, Paul had been released and I believe had uh, taken off towards Spain, I believe that the traditions are correct that Peter made his way to Rome. So I think Peter probably uh, came to Rome sometime in 63. And then he sits down and writes a letter back to the region that he's just recently passed through to encourage them to live godly lives uh, in the midst of an ungodly world. And it should be noted as we go through these letters of the Apostle Peter that he has been reading from the letters of the Apostle Paul. And I don't think that can be missed. Uh, There's just too many uh, exact parallels Uh, in these letters. And we know by the time we get to the second letter that he references the letters of the Apostle Paul as Scripture. And so we know he's very much aware of them. Uh, I think he may have also been well aware of the letter of James uh, and had been reading it and uh, probably was uh, had a, at least a passing understanding and uh, knowledge of the Gospel of Matthew, which by this time had been floating around uh, the uh, Jewish uh, quarters for about 20 years, uh, and I believe was also well accepted uh, in all the different churches that have been established in the first 30 years of the church's existence. All right, so with all that background, let's see what the Apostle Peter is moved by the Holy Spirit to pass on to the believers in Turkey. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, So he gives his his giftedness uh, by the hands of Jesus Christ right there at the beginning of his letter. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Now this is important uh, to see that Peter is an apostle primarily to Jewish people. Remember, he's one of the 12 apostles of the Lamb that was tasked to take the gospel to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, Peter has also helped open up the gospel to Gentiles, that's true, but his major responsibility 
given to him by Jesus Christ, just as it was given to the other apostles, is to make sure that every Jewish person on planet Earth in the first century hears the gospel. And so when he writes to the elect exiles of the dispersion, he's thinking about Jewish communities that came into existence way back in Old Testament times and how they are now part of the elect church. They have been called upon uh, by God to respond to the gospel, and having responded, they become part of the church. So to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, now these are all places in modern-day Turkey and a little bit over into Armenia and Azerbaijan, I believe. So Pontus was along the southern coast, uh, and to be more precise, the southeastern coast of the Black Sea that we know today. Galatia, that's the area in the center part of Turkey that Paul has already ministered to multiple times. Uh, In fact, he wrote his letter, the Galatian letter, back to the people of this region. Uh, It's right around uh, Antioch of Pisidia is kind of uh, a portion of Galatia. Cappadocia, or Cappadocia, which is uh, the eastern end of northern Turkey over into Armenia and up into Azerbaijan. Asia, uh, this is Roman Asia, which is the western end of modern-day Turkey. It's where the seven churches of Asia are located. Uh, Ephesus was the capital city of Roman Asia. Uh, So that's very much a place that Paul has ministered to as well. And Bithynia. Bithynia was along the southwestern coastline of the Black Sea. So it's along the northern end, uh, the northern side of modern-day Turkey, uh, and it would have been north of Galatia. And so of these five districts, Paul ministered heavily to two of them, Galatia and Asia. And I think that Peter may have been impacting the other three uh, during a a tour through the area uh, right before he moves on to uh, Rome uh, sometime in 63. That's my my suspicion, and I think you'll see that in the speculations of some of the commentators. So to all these people, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father... Now, what we see in verse number two is going to be a bit of a triune uh, testimony, the triunity of God, that is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, They are one, and yet they are distinct in their own ministry, their own responsibilities within the framework of the gospel. So, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, 
God is the one who has masterminded and oversaw everything from the very beginning of time itself. And so he knows from way back when how things were going to play out. In the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit makes holy. Sanctification is just a fancy word for talking about being holy, and holy is just a fancy word for talking about being dedicated or set aside for something specific. And in this case, it's to be like God. Uh, When God made humanity, he made him in his image and his likeness. His intention was that all of us would be like him. And so the Holy Spirit has been working on that project. Uh, And in the New Testament, he comes into believers and works on making them like God. So according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification work of the Holy Spirit, and then we've only got one other who is in the triunity, and that is for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now, sprinkling is kind of a a funny word to find in this context, but remember, uh, Peter is Jewish, Uh, many of the people reading this are Jewish, and they understand that in the ceremonies of Judaism from the Old Testament forward, uh, sprinkling with blood was the way that you made things holy, uh, the way that you made things pure. Uh, when Moses was told to dedicate the temple, uh, the tabernacle, that is, uh, he had to sprinkle them with the blood of a perfect lamb in order for them to be dedicated to use uh, for the priesthood and for uh, the people to offer their sacrifices. So that's what we've got in mind here, is that by being obedient to Jesus Christ, that is, calling on his name, seeing him as Savior, then we end up being sprinkled with his blood and made holy. We have our sins taken away. And so that is a kind of an overarching description of the triunity in their individual work uh, for the gospel. God the Father is the planner of all things. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes individual believers holy, just like God planned. And Jesus Christ is the one who made it possible by giving his life as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So it's a a wonderful and very deep theological uh, opening that the Apostle Peter gives us for this book. And then he does a little copying on the Apostle Paul, which I'm going to tell you repeatedly uh, through our study of 1 and 2 Peter. He has definitely been reading an awful lot of an Apostle Paul. Uh, My suspicion, and again, this is kind of speculated by a lot of commentators, is that a lot of Paul's letters have now been bundled together in a unit, in a group, perhaps even appended to a copy of the book of Acts. 
and they're being circulated throughout the region, throughout different areas where the church exists as a teaching tool, pretty much the way we use it today. So this is the beginning of the New Testament coming together, uh, and uh, the books of the Apostle Paul are part of that. And so I think that Peter has been recently reading through all of those books, minus 2 Timothy, because that's not written yet. And uh, it's really impacted on him, and he's, he's verbalizing some of the same phrases. So, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Remember, grace is the common way that Gentiles opened up a letter. Uh, peace was the common way Jewish people opened up a letter. But both of them have uh, Jesus connections. The grace of Jesus, the unmerited favor of Jesus, uh, comes through his death and his resurrection. And peace between us and God was accomplished by Jesus repairing the breach, which was caused by sin. So, may grace and peace be multiplied to you, Peter writes. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we start with a great praise. According to his great mercy, that is, God the Father wanted to have mercy on us. So according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we know that uh, John the Immerser said uh, that, excuse me, Jesus said that we must be born again. He told Nicodemus that. And so this becomes part of the phraseology uh, that gets into the church from its very inception because Jesus talked this way. And so God the Father is making us start fresh. Uh, we are new creatures, and this is happening through this living hope. Uh, that is, Jesus came the first time to die for our sin, but then he resurrected. And having resurrected, he gave us a new hope that we could look forward to, that there was more to come yet. Uh, when Jesus left, he effectively said, I will be back to finish the process. Uh, his death and his resurrection took care of sin in our individual lives. His second coming will take care of the curse that is upon our bodies and upon planet Earth, and we will be resurrected or transformed into our new bodies. So we've been born again right now into a new life, but we will be born again later into a new body. And that's our hope. And it's all accomplished because of Jesus Christ. Um, and it's, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you. Now, we are heirs joint heirs with Jesus. We become children of God, and we are going to inherit salvation. And that salvation is waiting for us. Uh, it is imperishable. That is, it's not going to go away. 
It's undefiled, so it's pure, it's holy, and it's unfading. You know, it's not going to uh, lose its quality over time. You know, if you have uh, clothing, uh, which they saw clothing as a, uh, as a uh, wealth object, and sometimes clothing was even passed from one generation to another, clothing over time will fade out. But salvation won't. It's going to last forever. And so our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. So you see, Jesus warned, you know, don't lay up your treasures here on earth where rust and moth destroy and where thieves break in and steal. See, if we keep stuff here, I mean, you can put it into a highly secure facility. There is still an outside chance that you will lose it. Something might happen and you won't have it anymore. But our salvation is not kept here on planet Earth. It's kept in the presence of God himself. And so it will not be at any risk whatsoever. Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we, Christians, we're guarded by God's power, uh, and this power is activated through our faith in Jesus Christ, who is, of course, he who is salvation, So all of this is ready now to be revealed when Jesus comes back. So Peter is very much focused on the future, and you'll see that as he goes through his letter. And uh, not surprising, he's probably in his upper 60s, more likely somewhere in his 70s. And so he knows that he is of that age that's not got much time left yet, especially in this time period of history. Uh, and uh, he, he, he's focused on the future very much. And so he wants other people uh, to get focused on the future as well. Uh, verse 6, in this you rejoice. That is, you are saved and sanctified right now and you've got something big you're looking forward to. So, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So now he gets to the reality. Even though you've got to focus on a great future, and you have the reality of salvation in your soul right now, you still get hassled by things in this life. And then he says, you need to have a good attitude in the midst of that hassle. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, you need to basically hang in there 
get through these tough times uh, so that you can realize what we're looking forward to, you know, where you can praise Jesus at his second coming, where you can give honor and glory to him in your brand new body. Uh, but you do have to go through some tough times in the meantime. Uh, but that's just par for the course. Uh, in the ancient times, uh, and this is still true today, but I don't think people are quite as much aware of it, uh, in order to purify precious metals, you put them through high heat. You burned them up. You, you melted them. You, you, you really put them to the test. Because once they came through the fire, they were better than when they started. They were more pure. The dross, that is, the impurities, had all been identified, had, had come up to the top, and had been you know, taken off and gotten rid of. The dross was removed. And what was left was the real deal. And so that's the way Peter says you should look at going through these tough times, is that it's going to show the real you that trusts Jesus. And speaking of Jesus, let, let's read this last little bit before we finish up today. Verse number eight, second part. Though you do not now see him, so he's in heaven awaiting the command to come back. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Uh, verse 8 says, though you've not seen him, you love him. So a lot of these people, they've never met Jesus. They never saw him in his physical ministry. And Peter says, that doesn't matter. You love him because you've heard the stories and you responded to him. And now, you don't see him right now, but that's okay because you do believe in him and you will be able to rejoice even more when you see him. Verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So coming into contact with Jesus saves you. And being prepared for the second coming of Jesus keeps you saved. It keeps you focused. It keeps you in right relationship. And that is where we need to be today. We need to help people meet Jesus, and then we need to help people stay in Jesus until Jesus comes back and takes us all into eternity with him and his Father.